morning. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in James, first chapter, verse 12. God's Word says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test of the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Or of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first roots of his creatures. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning through his holy word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, asking you, Lord, for you to speak to us through your word, Lord, that um, you, you have something to share with us and encourage us and um, even maybe rebuke us, Lord. And um, we know that we're, all of us have um, had trials and temptations and we might be going through them at this present time, Lord. Let this word be a timely word for our lives, Lord, and open our hearts, our minds to understand, Lord, what you want to share with us this morning and speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So for the last uh, four weeks, I believe, uh, we've been uh, reading. We've been reading about trials because um, James is emphasizing trials in the very beginning of uh, the first chapter. Some people will say that a book written two thousand years ago has no relevance today. That the Bible is outdated, archaic, and even its description of Christianity is passé. That was back then, not for today. We're in the 21st century. But um, when it's not outdated, people say it's brainwashing. You know, you guys are just being brainwashed. James is, as, is about as real as it gets when I read it. It's just straight up real. Um, the first chapter of James is one of those chapters that you can read at any moment in your life, regardless of who you are, and it will still be relevant. We are all in trials each one of us, all of us, we are in trials, or we have been in trials, or we will be going into trials. Trials is just part of this life that we live in. That feeling, that person, that group of people, that experience, that stress, that hardship, that thing you want God to take away, or circumstance you want Him to change right now, that is your trial. Lately, it seems like every uh, conversation that I have with people, it um, someone you know says that oh well they're experiencing a made, they're they're experiencing a trial, um, whether it's in their family, someone loses a job, or there's a relationship within their marriage, um, they feel insecure, someone feels lonely because he can't find someone to be with, someone feels irritated because of uh, a, a conversation they had with someone or at work, um, someone feels. Uh, unloved or underappreciated in their marriage, someone feels like someone feels scared because of their child is ill or their family or somebody in their family is ill. Someone feels conflicted over a difficult choice. These are real trials in our lives that we go through. 
Let us not forget that James is a pastor of a church and his writing to a community of believers. In, it is in trials that we truly see how much we need one another. That's what the church is for, for one another to build each other up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, we don't have to go there, uh, but we've heard it before. It says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Because in this life, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through temptations. And the reward of, for the faithful, James has spent the first part of this chapter telling us what, what is really happening in those trials. That a trial is more than just a circumstance resulting from sin or Satan. A lot of times people think, well, the trial that I'm going through is because I did something wrong. I, I sinned. I, I did the wrong thing. Or Satan is saying, man, he's, he's got me. He wants to, you know, um, mess me up. Um, but it is a test of our faith in Jesus. When you're going to a trial, it is a test of our faith in Jesus. Sometimes life is wonderful and sometimes life is horrible, right? And, all, and, all, and at all times, though, our faith is being tested. God is constantly moving us forward in maturity through trials. And that's what we, we, a few weeks ago we talked about that, about the, that our trials mature us as Christians and are walking in our faith. And James boldly declares that the person of faith lives differently in the midst of these trials. So we're to live differently, not like everyone else in this world. We're going to be a different kind of people. Uh, he doesn't say that it isn't difficult to live that way, live this way. But James says that the person of faith sees beyond the chaos of that is that is happening around me to the joy of a good, all-powerful God who is doing something for me. The person of faith stands firm in his faith as his faith is tested, even if the situation God has put us in makes makes absolutely no sense at all. Because sometimes we just don't understand. Why am I going through this? Why am I in this trial? Why is this happening in my life? And it doesn't make sense to us, but there's a purpose for it. God has a purpose for it in our lives. The person of faith does not trust his own eyes. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't, it seems dark, it seems frightful, it seems scary. It doesn't, it's not a pleasant thing that we're going through. And in your eyes, you can see, man, despair is not going to go anywhere. We're, we're, I'm in trouble. This is not good. But, he prays to God to see, and by God's grace, we begin to see. We know and understand the way things are truly are, despite the way things seem. We go to God in the midst of our trials. So verse 12 in James and 13, the reward for the faithful. Uh, verse 12, James says that the Christians who stand up under the test will receive a reward. In other words, the one who passes the test will be blessed. So let's read James uh, verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Because all of us know that when we survey our lives, the past, the present, and perhaps even the future, we know that we have failed in trials before. Have, you, have we not failed in trials before? Each one of us, right? And when we hear about crowns and rewards, we get defensive and irritated because we imagine God setting up an award podium, distributing medals to the uh, super Christians around us. Or, we, we can rec or we can, you can recognize the super Christians 
uh, as the ones who, whenever they make a sacrifice or they face a hardship or they whisper treasures in heaven, they say that, right? And, um, and as you throw up, you're like, what? This guy, look at him. He's going through that thing and he's going treasures in heaven. But that should be our attitude when we're going through trials and when we're going through hardships. Uh, but we fell. That's just the honest truth that we all fail in our trials. We, we don't, we mess up. We don't, we don't, we don't um, do the right thing by trusting God. Seeing things eternally. So we're called to see things in an eternal light, as, as it says in James. God is not like, uh, like Santa Claus keeping a scoreboard. And you guys heard of Santa Claus keeping a scoreboard of those Christians who have been faithful in every test and those who have not been. You know, like kids, behave this year because at the end of the year, if you're not good, Santa Claus is not giving you a present. But God doesn't keep a, ta- a tab on us on, on, on if we pass the test or if we fail the test or if we've done right or we've done wrong. Our sinful minds automatically play the compare game with those who appear holy and those who don't. Imagine how big or small your crown will be is the same attitude that Jesus rebukes on the night when he was arrested and his disciples argue over who will be the greatest in the kingdom of God. So the crown of life is not a literal crown like of gold. It is life itself. It is eternal life with God. I love the fact that, you know, uh, I listen to Piper and John Piper's pastor, and he says, it's amazing. It's, it, it's, that's what we're made for. We're made for God. We're made to enjoy Him. And um, those who remain faithful to Him over the often long and difficult race of life, they get life. They get God. And I believe that those who don't, do not finish the race never started the race to begin with because God will not give up on the work He started within me. So, I know I read this last week, but if you guys want to go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, just as a reminder as we're going through trials and we're going through things in our life. And when you're there, say Amen. It says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So, I like that word completion. Um, God, by his unrivaled infinite power, will one day remedy everything wrong about you. Now, you are counted perfect through faith in Jesus. That's what you are. We're counted perfect through our faith in Jesus. Then you will be presented perfect, no sin, no shame, no guilt, no doubt, no fear, nothing broken about you. That's our hope, that we'll be completed. The promise is a safe word when Satan lies, trying to seduce or shame us. It's a strong word in the midst of temptation, when we're going through temptation. It's a hopeful word when we're confronted with our own sin and need. It's an unwavering word when we all, when all around us it seems shaky and unsure. It's a comforting word in weakness or pain. It's an inspiring word when we need motivation to press on in the faith, working out our salvation. Philippians 1.6 assures us that how it all will end for us, that, all, that, that our end will be good, beautiful, and holy before our God. And we have that assurance. At the same time, we don't rest on our past laurels because we go through one hard part of, our, of the race. 
it's not done. We don't, we don't, uh, are not to despair when we fail one or two tests, when we trip or fall or have a slow lap, because we are going to mess up. That's just the reality that we, we have and we will. Faith begins with living life with eternity in all view always. We got to live in light of eternity. The minute you forget that this life is temporal, that we are sojourners here, is the minute you, your faith begins to fail. And that happens to us all the time. So if you guys are still Philippians, go to verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18, and we're going to read verse 1, 18 through 23. We there? Amen. It says, yes, and I will rejoice. So think about your trial, the temptation you're going to through right now. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul right here is just he's talking about the fact that he has a conflict about being here for the sake of the ministry. And, he's, and Paul is a man who suffered. He suffered. He suffered hardships for the gospel's sake. He, um, he faced some very hard trials being put in prison. And he's gonna. He's had the death sentence upon. He died for the for the gospel. Um, so in light of his trials, our trials. I mean, not that our trials ain't any anything compared to that. But I mean, we have some serious trials that we go through. But um, we can be. We can have that hope that we're seeing things from an eternal perspective, from eternity. That we have a home in heaven. We that we have eternal life with God. So what happens when we fail? Verse twelve is the hinge between the first 11 verses that we've already covered um, and the next six that we're covering now. That truth of the matter is that the, that the people fail tests. People don't always stand up. They sometimes give in. And with every trial comes a temptation to turn towards sin and away from God. Instead of faith being built as we grow a deeper sense of our love and need for God, we begin to turn on God like a child who doesn't get what they want. You ever seen a kid throw a tantrum? We sometimes begin, we, we sometimes throw our tantrums to God, and we're um, and we're wanting our way. And my God, man, we want it to be this way, not that way. You know, because we seem to have like better wisdom than what God has. I don't think so. Um, these verses offer some challenges, as the words test, trial, and temptation come from the same word in the original Greek. The context determines what the author has in mind. Either a test to prove faith or a temptation to destroy it. We often never know the difference until it's too late. Every temptation is a trial and every trial is a temptation. The basic meaning of uh, temptation is, in the Greek is perasmos, which is simply to test or to prove. And it has no negative connotation. So it is, there's no negative when you're going through a trial or a temptation or a test. There's no bad in and of itself. 
I think sometimes we think that temptation is bad. That we're all oh, we're tempted, so we're, it's, it's a bad thing. But it's not. That in and of itself is nothing bad. Whether it becomes a proof of righteousness, so there's a proof of righteousness, or an inducement to evil depends on our response to it. How are we going to respond to it, to the trial, to temptation? Uh, what are we going to do? If we resist it in God's power, not in our own power, but in God's power, then it is a test that proves our faithfulness, trusting God. If we do not resist, it becomes a solicitation to sin. So the Bible uses the term in both ways, and I believe that Paul has both meanings in mind right here. God often brings circumstances in our lives to test us. Um, you guys remember the story of Job, right, in the Old Testament? Like Job, we usually do not at the time recognize them as tests, certainly not from God. So we see the, the, the story of Job that God was testing to see if uh, Job was going to trust God, right, in the midst of his um, trial, or if he was going to give in to, to temptation. So how we react to... Um, but our, our response to them proves our faithfulness or our, our, our unfaithfulness. How we react to financial difficulty, school problems, health trouble, or business setbacks will always test our faith, our reliance on our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> if we do not turn to Him, however, at the same circumstances can make us bitter, resentful, and angry. Rather than thanking God for the test, as James advises, we may even accuse Him. An opportunity to cheat on our income tax or to take an unfair advantage in our business <clears throat> will deal either to prove our righteousness or to prove our weakness. The circumstances of the opportunity is a test. It's neither good or evil in and of itself. Whether it results in good or evil... Spiritual growth or spiritual decline depends entirely on our response. And um, verse 13 to 15, if you want to read that, it says, it, it, it talks about when we say it's not our fault, it's not us who do it. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So the one who fails the test refuses to admit that he lacks faith in God. Rather, he will blame someone for something as the reason why he couldn't possibly trust God's word here. And that is exactly what Adam did back in the garden. Instead of accepting responsibility, he pointed the finger at everyone he could find. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, because it all starts in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. And there we see uh, when Adam and Eve fell from... When original sin came into this world and everything went wrong. Because God first made everything good. But man disobeyed God and that's how sin entered the world. So Genesis 3.9 says, uh, where are you? That's God speaking. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. 
because I was naked and I hid myself. That's Adam saying, speaking back to God. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, Eve, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So what do we see here? The blame game, right? We always have someone or something outside of ourselves to blame when we fail a test of faith. We're always blaming somebody. Human nature right there from the very beginning. You're not the first one to do that. Adam and Eve did it. And then when, when we're caught off, when we're caught, we often, so when we're caught, because God caught them, we often fail another test. What's the next test? Will you confess? Will you repent? No, we play the, the, we justify and blame just like Adam and Eve. We play the if game. If that person had not, if that situation, if the devil, or worst of, worst of all, if God, do we blame God? I hope not. And, um, but we usually try to blame someone or something. You can't blame God, it says here in James. The beginning of, fail, of, fail, of our failures and trials is when we lose our eternal perspective. It isn't just, this isn't just keeping the crown of life, but it is seeing creation and the Creator rightly. How do we see the creation and the Creator rightly? A theologian, Carl, ba Carl Barth, wrote, Thinking of ourselves what can be thought only of God, we are unable to think of Him more highly than we think of ourselves. Being to ourselves what God ought to be to us, he is no more to us than we are to ourselves. And sometimes we, we, we put our, we put our it's called idolatry, we, we make a God to suit ourselves. We, we, we think of God as if He was a human being like us, and He is not. So God can't, God can't be tempted. God, there's no evil in God. James denounces anyone that says, God tempted me. In other words, that God singled me out of an impossible test that I was bound to fail. So basically we're saying, Man, God set me up to fail. He put me there to fail. And James says, God cannot be tempted and does not tempt. God is perfectly good. God's character does not include evil. He is beyond evil and therefore cannot be tempted to do evil to harm us. There is no ulterior motive in his testing. When he tests us, it is so that we may pass the test and obtain blessing now and in eternity. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. I think there's a good memory verse, a verse to memorize. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So does God set us up to fail? No. So what does that mean? Common to man. It's one word, 
anthropinos in Greek and simply means that which is human, characteristic of, or belonging to mankind. In other words, Paul says that there is no such thing as a superhuman or supernatural temptation. Temptation are human experiences that we live in. The term also carries the idea of usual or typical as indicated by common. Temptations are never unique, are never unique experience to us. We can never have a temptation that has not been experienced by millions of other people. Um, temptations differ, but, but basic temptations do not. Even the Son of God was tempted in all things as we are, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And because of that, he is able to come to aid of those who are tempted, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18. And because temptations are common to us all, we are able to confess our sins to one another. It says, we're going to go through that in James chapter 5, verse 16. And to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. We are all in the same boat. We're all together going through trials and temptations. Not only are temptations common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to, over, to, to, to overcome. No believer can claim that he was overwhelmed by temptation or that the devil made me do it. No one, not even Satan, can make us sin. And he cannot even make an unbeliever sin. No temptation is inherently stronger than our spiritual resources. People sin because they willingly sin. We make our own choices. We know, we know we're making. And then, we, and then we ask God to save us from them. We pray for our food. James tells us that we cannot blame anyone but ourselves for our sin. So desires to eat, drink, or enjoy sex are not wrong in the right context. It is easy and tempting to blame Guinness, if you guys know what Guinness is, is an alcoholic beverage, for a drinking problem. You know, we're going to blame them for, for your drinking problem. Or the way a person dresses. Oh, it's that person, they dress that way. So, for a lust problem. Or it's the internet for pornography addiction. Or it's the ice cream man for driving in front of my house for a struggle with weight. It came from within. It came from us. James tells us that we failed the test because of our sinful natures. The concept not accepted in our world today. Because a lot of times in our world today, they don't, they, don't, they don't even talk about sin. It's not a thing that, that is really real. We have become a culture of therapy, a culture that replaces God's word with man-made psychological labels. A sinful nature becomes a myth, and a sin becomes a temporary condition fixed with pills, programs, and counseling. Gluttony becomes a food addiction that can be controlled with better eating habits. Anger is an impulse disorder that needs management training. Or laziness, sloth, is just another illness. And, just, and lust is an unhealthy compulsion for sex, usually fixed by a healthy relationship with the right person. We are not depraved. We're not spiritually dead. We're just sort of sick and bruised. Everyone needs therapy. Everybody. That's what they say. That's what our culture is telling us. I don't disagree, but the Bible says why. The Bible says that if we fail, a test becomes a temptation that I fail. It is a sin that is within us that makes it so. So let's go to Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, Old Testament verse. 
We believe in total depravity. We believe that man is dead in their sins and transgressions, that there is no good that comes out of man unless he is, we're going to talk about it a little bit after, a little bit later, but we're born again. We're a new creature in Christ. God gives us life when we're dead. Um, a dead man can't do anything for himself. So Jeremiah, are we there? 17.9? It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? There's something wrong in our hearts before our Christian conversion. The power of sin, the beginning of verse 14, James, so we go back to James, chapter, uh, verse one, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 14. James takes a moment to describe what happens when someone fails in a trial. So what happens when we fail, when we don't pass the test? It says, but each person is tempted, verse 14, but each person is tempted. The first thing that happens when is a trial, is a trial comes, we lose our job, we get sick, or someone hurts us, what will you do? Will you trust God or take control? Will you trust God or will you run? Will you trust God or will you fight and argue with Him? That is, tempt that is tempting coming in the midst of a trial. It is not sinful to be tested or tempted. We already said that. The occasion for the trial is nothing wrong. Trials will come. And there's nothing wrong in of themselves. It says, lured and enticed by his own desire. Lured and enticed by his own desire. God gives us desires to eat, to have sex, to, go, to work hard. These desires are not evil in and of themselves. But sin makes them evil. That is the power of sin. It is an internal problem that affects everything. It takes a creation that God being good and perverts it. Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, says, that, says it like this. Desire is not wanting bad things. It's wanting good things too badly. So James uses uh, sex and, and a sport illustration here. He says, lured and enticed. Like a prostitute swinging her purse, showing some leg and calling us, and or like a fish that is magnetized by the bait that is out there and underneath. What am I enticed to? To believe the lie about God that comes with every temptation? You need this to be happy, not God, not Him. That's the big lie that, we, that is in our world today. You need this, you need that, not God. You don't need God. And... Then, then desire, says in verse 15, then desire when it has conceived and gives birth. If we don't actively resist here, it will produce offspring. If these desires are not restrained, it will, it, it, if we believe the lie, we actively indulge and we become spiritually pregnant, rebellion against God and lasting consequence. Even if not immediately seen, sin will be born. And we'll have a family of kids, lust, gossip, anger, pride, that for a while we will be able to control and even hide, but you cannot handle it. It will overtake. You. It, will, it will just wreak havoc. And it says, and sin, when it is fully grown, begin, brings forth death. Eventually sin becomes an adult and it controls you. And sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. 
Sin kills the individual. It kills the family. It destroys relationships, especially the relationship with God and man, and you, you and God. And you are not powerful enough to give yourself life. So again, James is not talking about an event or a test or a temptation. He is talking about a life that is faithful or a life that is rebellious. Because it's not just a one-time thing. That one-time thing becomes a pattern, right? And, uh, and, he, and he warns his beloved brothers, those who are generally Christians. He's speaking to Christians and James. James is speaking to his, this thing about to his church. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. God is not to blame. The enemy is not in the camp or within the heart. The enemy is the heart itself. Before you are regenerate, before you are a Christian. Conclusion, and let's wrap it up. We're going to wrap it up. How can we possibly succeed? How can we possibly succeed in the midst of this? How can we ever love God when our hearts are breeding factories for sin? James reminds us that, that just that big and good, and how big and how good God is. Every good, so it says it there in verse uh, 17. Every good we need is in, is in and from Him. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a, first, a, kind, of, a kind of first fruits of His creation, of creatures. So God is good and God does not change. Every good we need is in Him and from Him. God is good and God does not change. If we fail to love God, He does not fail to love us. He is the Father who does not give up on His children. The cross proves that He has an abiding desire to be with His children. And as God is the greatest and most wonderful of all we might imagine, we, He has an abiding desire for the joy of His children, which are you and which are it's just me. So how does He fix us? How does, what does God do for, to us that we can um, overcome testing, tempt, temptations, and trials? Because we can with the power of God. He brought us forth by His own will. It says that in His Word right there. He gives us new life. We need new life. So if you're not a Christian, you need new life. We did not birth ourselves. We see the only thing our desire gives birth to is sin and death. We did not choose God. He chose us and saves us from death. We are, cre we are creation. He is the creator who gives us new life through his son. And even though, even though we struggle in trials, we cannot, lose what he, we cannot lose what he brought forth for us. Sin cannot be fixed without the rebirth. You have an identity. So we are, we are regenerated. We're born again from above. And God has given us, taking that heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. And we are able to overcome our trials and our temptations and do what's right. Not with our own power, but with the power of God and His Holy Spirit that indwells us as believers. It says, He brought us forward by the word of truth. The word. That rebirth, that faith is birthed in us through His word. Just that is. Just as it was in creation. He created out of nothing. So let's go to 1 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 23. 1 Peter. The rebirth is very, very important as a Christian. And it's, what's, what's crazy, with, uh, you can't 
born, you can't be born into this world on your own will. So you can't even be born into the next life on your own will either. It's something that God supernaturally works in the heart of man, giving them life when they were dead. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, it says, it reads the following. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Our sin is not conquered by pills, programs, and PhDs. Our sin is conquered by the word of God. You guys remember when Jesus went through the temptation, the trial? Because um, even Jesus, he was perfect, he never sinned, but he went through a trial. What did he say? He spoke the word of God. Yeah, he was speaking to saying the word of God. So nothing in this world can transform a heart. You never, ever, 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 ever outgrow your need to hear the gospel. We always need to hear the gospel, and that's through scripture right here. The power comes from God. He brought us forth that we should be of first fruits. We are his handiwork. Saved for the good work he planned for us. In the Old Testament, the first fruits belonged to God. The firstborn man, the cattle, the products, the sales, etc. were given to God. Our faith is built. We triumph over trials when we see and believe that we are holy. Holy means to be set apart for God's use until we see him again. We are not leftovers so we best not act like them. We are God's children. We're his sons and we're his daughters. And he loves us and he has called us to be holy as he is holy. And we are empowered through the Holy Spirit that indwells us to overcome our sins, our temptations, our trials. And we can trust him. And you have a mission to seek and save the lost, to glorify God in all the things you do in life. That God be first in our lives. So let's... um. That's, that's the message for today. Let's pray that God would help us overcome when we are in the midst of trials and temptations and that we would look to God and have Him give us um, victory and allow us the power to overcome it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we're thankful, Lord, that You have regenerated us, that You've uh, rebirthed us, that You've given us life, Lord, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions. We were a dead man, Lord. We were, there was no hope for each and any one of us, Lord. Apart from you, Lord, we would sin constantly and we would be lost and we would be separated from you, Lord, for all eternity in hell, Lord. That's the reality, Lord. And we're just so thankful that you have brought forth life in our hearts, that we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us and that we uh, are able, Lord, to live holy lives, Lord, that we are to, able to obey you and, and live righteous lives, Lord, uh, from what your word says, Lord. And we pray, Lord, that we would... Um, you would allow us, Lord, to overcome any temptations, any trials, any testing, Lord, that we face. Because the reality is that we will go through them, Lord. And if we not, we are going presently through them, Lord. And we pray that, we would, that it would draw us closer to you, that we would trust you, Lord, that we would um, cling to you, Lord, and to the gospel, Lord, knowing that we can have eternity in our perspective, Lord, and not live in this, just in the time of this world and in this earthly time, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that we were encouraged and that we were... Um, uh, just point it to the gospel, Lord, and to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.